gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. So what uh what is this place anyway? Is this some type of fancy DMV? Are you kidding? It's the Hall of Justice. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Welcome to the Hall of Justice. This is episode 368. And we are talking about the Tomorrowverse and more specifically, Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's funny, this isn't the first crisis we've covered. We did specific episodes on the crisis on the CW when it was the Arrowverse. If that's what you're looking for, that's episode 162 and 167. We split it up. There were three episodes. We did an episode then, 162, and then 167 was on parts four and five. This is a different one. This is animated. This is the latest of the DC animated movies. And to put a little context in it, uh, there's been a string of movies, and they've all been kind of grouped together in the same continuity. And we've talked about a bunch of them on this podcast. Not going to start referencing episode numbers for all of them, but these are the films that we're talking about. There was a film in August of 2020 called Superman Man of Tomorrow, and Darren Chris played Superman. When that came out, people called this universe the Tomorrowverse. Not to be misconstrued with the Tuckerverse, which was based on the New 52 comics that concluded with Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, and uh, we've done a lot of episodes on that universe. But this is a cluster of films, and they're all connected. Superman Man of Tomorrow came out in 2020. In 2021, Justice Society World War II the two-part Batman The Long Halloween, based on the classic comic book. Green Lantern, Beware My Power. John Semper co-wrote that. We talked about that with him. That was in 2022. And then last year, Legion of Superheroes came out. Josie Campbell wrote that. And Justice League War World, Josie, Ernie Altbacker, Jeremy Adams. I believe Ernie Altbacker came on to talk about War World. Those were all in continuity and set the stage for this massive three-part animated feature, Crisis on Infinite Earths, obviously based on the classic 1980s book. And this episode today focuses on part one. Here's the audio from the trailer to Crisis Part One. Most of you are aware that you live in a reality parallel to many versions of your universe. I've gathered you all to save your world. That does not look good. You got that right. The threat is real. Look, I was on one of the Earths that was swallowed by this wave. <laughs> well, look what we have here. Where I come from, a parallel Earth. We look down on supervillains. 
Welcome our newly formed team of heroes. The Justice League. Drain the power from them. Thank you, Justice League. Something's about to happen. Something major. I am Harbinger. This is the thing. Yeah, I figured. You each possess the skills, strength, and speed to save your universe. Great Scott. What's happening? The universe, it's all vanishing. Look! This is it. I won't let you go. Is it as bad as it looks? Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. As is the custom with the podcast, spoilers if you can see this film before you listen to this episode. However, we don't go through the plot in depth. We do reference things that happen in the movie, and it would certainly help, but I don't think this conversation is something that you have to see the movie. Uh, it would be advised. Part one came out the first week in January, and Jim Krieg, who's a veteran of the podcast, wrote all three parts of Crisis. So he's going to come back and do parts two and three once they're released, but this is for part one. Jim is a veteran of the podcast. He was on episode 253 when we did an overview of his entire career. This episode is going to focus on the crisis. The thing about crisis to me is its size. It is massive. And because of that, there's just a lot to unpack. And that's what I hope we'll do here on the podcast today. First of all, welcome back. Second of all, what an assignment this classic book that we all read years ago you have done so many superhero properties but they tell you you are going to write the animated adaptation of crisis on infinite earths what was that phone call like who who made it and what was it like to get that call well first of all seth thank you for having me back on the show and two it wasn't a call i was right there and uh and what happened was, uh, this was back in the in the pre-pandemic days, but we used to have meetings with uh, Warner Home Video or Home Entertainment, whatever it was at the time, and they would uh, they would go out and do tests of what people uh, they they would do little uh, test uh, audience uh, test the audiences on our uh, DTVs and say what of it and well what are what are some other stories you would like to see. And then they would generate this thing called a word cloud. And so the other stories that would, you know, that they wanted to see adapted from comics would be in there. And uh, Crisis was always in there. Sure. So I had a hunch when when it got to, when, when Sam Register thought, well, you know, Butch, you and Jim take a crack at this. And I thought, well, if, if I don't, Butch, of course, is the animation side. And he, uh, it's the reason that the, that probably that uh, Bruce Tim and and James Tucker and, and those guys kind of chewed the, the doing uh, Crisis for so long is so many characters and it's such a big story and it's sure to disappoint because people have their own memories of it and uh, and but I thought well I I they'll probably say yes and then maybe we can we'll do a whole you know twenty film thing building up to it 
and uh and they said nah how about three and they were like how about five how about you know it was like a negotiation right, negotiating <laughs> to, get as, to get as many movies you could get because we you know we had to build up assets i mean and really the and and not just build up the assets but spend the time have make sure that the audience spent time with each of those characters so you know as we started killing them willy-nilly they would be heartbroken right that's the one key in the quote unquote Tuckerverse, if 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 you if we can call it that, um, the death of Superman, the biggest criticism was he's not the guy that Dan Jurgens drew in the comic book. He was that guy without the red underpants who was kind of a dick. And you didn't have the same feeling about his sacrifice as you did in the comics and in, in the other iterations of the death of Superman, such this iconic book. What about this idea that the TV show re-energized the, the Arrowverse re-energized the crisis concept? You know, they had hey, two so crises I, I, before the crisis. To, Were you guys I, lit before that even I, came I, on the air? How yeah, did that so, all work? So I think what people don't understand is, is how how glacially slow animation is okay. that, that even before you get into the production of actually doing the animation there's all the time of deciding what story you're going to do and then developing picking the writer and do, and developing the script so it was quite a long time ago when we pitched and there's uh, a, you know we decorated the uh, the big conference room at uh, at the at the Warner Brothers ranch RIP and and sold this all and we were we were pitching um home video and uh and and jim lee was there and it was just it was really a magnificent moment building all up to and with this sign this thing right here behind me you know we blew up a bunch of uh the uh the covers covers of covers of like really important dc uh events that we wanted to cover like um you know even like flash discovering earth too things like going way back that far so we kind of were doing you know a greatest hits and uh and so it was so long ago that it felt like oh my gosh this is going to be such a surprise it was so long ago seth that i felt we needed an entire movie to to introduce the concept of parallel earths and a multiverse oh. because it was off the map to the general public i, I mean we knew and the comic book world knew uh and maybe you know star trek fans etc but um and that's justice uh society world war ii exactly and so i mean there was an even longer scene where i always i it's it seems to me that everyone would argue over who would be earth one it seems like every planet every earth would say well we're earth one and you're variants of that yeah. uh but uh that was a, a joke that didn't make it as, as many of my jokes don't but, but um uh but it was so it was so long ago that you know we're like a couple films in when i hear that from a friend who's on the supergirl staff that uh that they're gonna do crisis and i'm like oh and uh it was just like oh my gosh we've liked it we have we're like three scripts in we can't change it now um so we're gonna do crisis and also they have a limited the arrowverse also, God rest its soul, ha had had a limited number of super beings to use. And sure. 
So if we had any advantage, it would be that we would have more characters to draw from, at least to have them in the action, if not speaking, because we we do these we do these uh, movies for a, a price. And so that always entails uh, a limit, a li huge limitation on how many how many animated characters can speak or even grunt. I found out. <laughs> well, you know, the, just the, this very conversation is giving me flashbacks to when Justice League uh, Dark Apocalypse War came out. And James Tucker came on this podcast. Um, this is a, it's very parallel universes. Uh, the way we're doing it, James Tucker came on the podcast and basically explained that they had already written Apocalypse War when they went to see Avengers Endgame. Right, because that cl climactic scene in both those films they mimic each other. Like they, they are, they are parallel. Like you, there's a lot of Endgame in Apocalypse War, and Apocalypse War was written 18 months before they ever saw it. Yeah, yeah. And well, and and in some ways, those things are kind of um, set in so in stone by the genre. You know, there's going to be a, a there's going to be a penultimate fight and an ultimate fight and and then a denouement. Uh, and uh, so they're bound to be similarities and and in terms of the Arrowverse and and uh the crisis movies you know there are certain parallels that there that are are oh my gosh well we see them get married and we you know there's they're parallel scenes that aren't necessarily swipes they're just kind of inevitable when you're drawing from the same source material well that's what makes the the original book so impressive the you know you know and I, I've said this on the podcast before, but for the purpose of this discussion, uh, I came into comics as a young adult. I was in college. I was working for the campus TV station. I got assigned to cover the death of Superman, and then found out these comic books were drawn for me. They, like I was the target demo, right? And I never knew that. And you know, Hal Jordan went bananas, and I went, "Oh my God, they're speaking to me!" And then I went and reread past classics yeah. and I read crisis, but I read crisis way after uh, it had been released. The, the sheer undertaking of that book to just the map out the story yeah. was, was an incredible idea and they don't have years and decades of source material to kind of go back to what, what was, what did that book provide you guys when plotting out the three movies well um it's it's an astonishing work and obviously i think when people think of it to some extent they they remember the 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 big tent poles of the story and they remember uh george's amazing george Presum's amazing work and those the artwork the splash pages yeah and this the covers and the splash pages and uh Wolf, such a it, it's such a clever idea and such a unenviable task and uh to some extent he's writing it the same way you know dickens wrote things month after month it's not like he sat down and wrote it all and and then here it is all finished so it it has so many ideas and so many concepts that are all kind of jammed together with so many characters to that were popular at the time that needed to be addressed, that, that some have completely fallen off the map. 
Um, but I think the thing that it gave us was uh, scope and a tone and uh, and those those moments, those splash pages and those covers are kind of um, they're kind of uh, buoys or markers that we wanted to get to to make sure that we we hit those because then there are a lot of people going to say, well, this isn't my crisis. And, and honestly, it's, it's to some not, extent, it's not. It's not supposed and, to be. And, and wonderfully, uh, during the pandemic, I had the opportunity to, to meet Marvin um, and George. It was, oh, George wow. was sick and, and uh, uh, he was sort of doing a, a final tour. He was meeting with fans and he came out to LA and then we had a meeting outside of DC that Mike Carlin was nice enough to organize Mike, and Mike was I, just recently on the podcast. He, he was just great. And he, um, I wish I'd taken more pictures, honestly. I wish I'd recorded the whole thing. Yeah. I'm like, what a fool I was. You know, we pitched the whole thing to George and Marv, and they were so open to it. And they really liked some of the changes because they, and they didn't feel threatened by it at all. And what they said was that, well, everything they did still existed. This is just a take on it. And they felt the same way about Teen Titans Go, that some of their fans were like, oh, Teen Titans Go stinks. And they were like, no, it's just it's just a different way of looking at these same characters that we created. And it was it was exciting to them that a new generation of kids would know about these characters and probably be drawn to their, you know, the trade paperbacks of the stuff they they originally did. So they didn't feel any of the fan angst that fans sometimes do so that, that was nice no it, it, it's it's great and i think we're past the the point of you know Zack snyder changing superman so much that it offended people right, right. you know what i mean right. like it, we're past that I, I i'd like to think we're past that i, well, I, I hopefully i mean if, i can understand if you change a character so much like well he he's a nice guy in the comics but he's a killer in the movies or whatever i can right. understand the but but in some ways we tried to stay as close to the original as possible. But you know, it made changes in terms of, I think, uh, time, like what, how much time we'd spend with various characters, and uh, and honestly, there's so many worlds and so many things going on that, well, as I said, we we didn't have time for Anthro, the the, the cave adolescents, and. Uh, yeah, but, but but the example of it is the crisis brought Wally West into the forefront. Okay, and... that's a good that's a good point. And we only had the thing is we didn't even there wasn't really enough time to even do Wally. We had stuff with Wally. There's stuff coming up that you know where where we we see the introduction of of just briefly of Dick Grayson. And originally Wally was going to be part one. You're talking about the Dick yeah, Grayson. Yeah, yeah, that's the other right. World. right. Yes, that's right. And um uh and it just it was there was too much story to tell just for barry mm -hmm. to also bring in wally because and if we did it's it's a double-edged sword because it's like oh thank god wally is there and the other edge is why don't we spend more time with wally <laughs> you know it's it's you're you're giving something and taking it away in the same action but it's just so funny with dc's history because after that Justice League uh, cartoon in the early 2000s, uh, Wally for a generation is the Flash. And I thought, and it just so happened that the season one coincided with the beginning of this podcast, which was 2015. And I was convinced that 
uh, Grant Gustin's character should have been Wally, especially after they had hired uh, uh, John Wesley Shipp, who could have been Barry Allen. You know what I mean? I, and I, I, I said there's, there's a whole generation of people that think of him as Wally West. And once Grant Gustin became Barry Allen, movies went there. The animated movies went there. He was always Barry Allen. And Wally West seemingly got pushed aside. And it's just it's funny how history rewrites itself. Well, I, I think there's no way to escape that because um it's all you're always people people grow up reading this material and then to some extent want to recreate the version of it that they enjoyed when they were 13. Right. And uh and, and even earlier in this podcast, you said uh, oh, you love reading uh, Green Lantern when when Hal goes insane. Oh, and I, I, that's, I, one of, I that's one of my favorite comic books of all time. No, me too. I was, I mean, I was an adult at the time, and I would, uh, I would uh, go over to Forbidden Planet in New York. I would just read them in the store because I was so cheap. But um, to some people, that uh, Parallax story is the worst story in history. That you ruined that character forever, and now well, I can't bring back. All right, if we're gonna go there, then what were ruined Parallax was the Green Lantern movie. Well, no, because Parallax. Is, Parallax became a cloud. Well, everything becomes a cloud. Galactus becomes a cloud. It's it's the it's the it's once you're in that room with with people who don't know the material and you show the picture of Galactus in short pants and a top hat, you know, they just go, I don't think we can do this. And you're like, well, and what are you going to do? And they say a cloud. It's going to be a cloud. And uh, so uh, but anyway, all that to say. So, someone asked Greg Weissman, uh, what's the best animated Spider-Man? And he said, whatever one's on when you're 12. There and that's always going to be your Spider-Man. And that, you know, that's true with uh, Doctor Who, too. It's like you're, 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 you're he's going to hit you at a certain age and you might like the others and not like the others. or But there's something about the one that got you at that formative time that is going to be your story. You know. That's fair. That's fair. However, I grew up with the Super Friends and I went to college during Spider-Man, the animated series, the John Semper show, uh, the X-Men animated series, show. the classic show. That's right. You did. And uh, that is the definitive. To me, the 90s Spider-Man animated series is the definitive Spider-Man in any medium. I've said that live action or animation. That is the definitive. And I think the scene I've said this. I said this to John Semper here on this podcast. The scene when he dives off the bridge looking for Mary Jane in the water, he is drawn on a piece of freaking paper. Yeah. And the acting in that is so authentic. That is the embodiment of the essence of that character. That's one of my episodes. Good job, Seth. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I, I'm co-credited with that episode but it's uh oh, that was i mean that was really fun to do because john just let me um read all i i he had all he had the entire collection of uh of amazing spider-man in in bags and boards it wasn't even like trade paperbacks so, so you got to read the actual comic from that awesome. era and so i tried to do every norman osborne gimmick you know the 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 dinner scene and the and yeah. all that stuff and that was trying to squeeze that in 22 minutes. That's even harder than getting all of uh, Crisis into three movies. But that's, I guess that's what my career has all been about. It's been um, um, making big stories into little ones. 
the establishment of you called it in one of the Blu-ray features. You called it the Tomorrowverse, so we're going to call it the Tomorrowverse for the sake of this podcast. I didn't make it up. I did not make it up. No, to- you didn't. But you, you it, it, that's what everybody calls it because still, the first it, it, movie of that universe was Superman: Man of Tomorrow, and they call it the Tomorrowverse. Yeah, it, I, I thought it was going to be the the Butchverse, but somebody told me that uh, Tim Sheridan said it meant something else, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to look into it, but. Uh, uh, so, so tomorrow verse stuck. So there we are. And I think it's, it's a good name. It's a nice name. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> anyway, you established the character and it was brighter. Uh, there's no question that the, you know, the Darren Chris played Superman is a different Superman than the one that uh, was from the Tucker verse who frankly was. Oh, well, yeah, but that comes from that. I mean, it, that was also reflected not not necessarily what happened during the actual death of Superman, but what was going on during the time of making the animated those movies. It was sure. the it was the you know the kind of uh, the new fifty two and the it's everybody the new everyone's a badass. Corson Heath Corson came on one of the first ever episodes of this podcast and said that someone at Warner Brothers said to make him a jerk, and he's a jerk. <laughs> and he's a jerk. Uh, in that in that he character, genius, that character is—he's so is, an asshole. Uh, there's there's no that Superman is, is is unlikable, and because of that fact, when he dies, you don't care. That's that that's reality. But well, I hope I you like the better way came back because I, I I worked on that one with Tim Sheridan. But that but that that universe culminates with Apocalypse, right? And when you see that Superman get. The the S tattoo the, the 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 kryptonite tattoo uh emblazoned in his body, you your heart goes out to that guy. That oh, yeah. has more of an impact. Uh, that was all Margaret. That that, that Margaret Scott had that idea years ago. Oh, and uh it's so great. So so hats off to her. Um but anyway, so back to this tomorrow verse. Um it was a it was a conscious decision to make Metropolis a little brighter and just kind of bring him back to the character's roots. At that point, when Man of Tomorrow is set to come out, are the seeds for Crisis laid then? Yes. In the Blu-ray, in the Blu-ray, and then this is out, you know, as we said in the open, this is out on digital um, and Blu-ray. But on the Blu-ray bonus feature, you say that everything leads up to Crisis. Was that all mapped out before Man of Tomorrow comes out? Yes. Yes. We knew what every movie was. And they were all up on I have if you don't believe me, if you can no, take I, me a card. I believe you. No, I don't mean you. I don't mean I wouldn't you. Have asked if we didn't I meant like you. I mean I I'm using you as a uh, avatar it's for the all ustedes. It's the collective. Yes. yes. And uh uh but yes, all of the all the films were um were they were totally mapped out. And uh, and and we pitched we didn't have a every beat of every movie, but we knew which what the movies were. They they flipped. They came out of order uh, because there are. We knew we wanted to do a two part um, uh, uh, long Halloween, mm-hmm. and then we had to delay that one. That one was, I know now. That one was going to go right after Man of Tomorrow, but we had to push it because. Uh, DC told us there were similarities with that and the Batman and we, and they were afraid that we would spoil the fact that, I don't know, the Riddler exists or something. I I wasn't ever, we just follow orders. So, so we switched those orders, but essentially it was all the same in terms of 
setting up those characters and uh, and getting, you know, building enough characters and enough story time, hopefully, so that you'll care about them when when you get to crisis. Well, right. That, that That's kind of where I was leading to this. Um, you meet the Flash in that World War II movie. And that's a twist because I will give credit, even with in this age of social media, not many things get surprised when you find out that he didn't go to the past and he goes oh. to another world. You're like, really? And I remember <laughs> seeing that and I remember texting people who wrote on that movie going, what? You did what? And it's, oh, I'm so glad because that's always my agenda is to surprise right? in some aspect. I. It, there's, there's, a, especially with superhero movies or genre movies in general, there's a, a kind of familiar, familiarity that you like. There's certain things you want to see, but then also you need a surprise. You also need to go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, the amazing part about that, I mean, it's happened a, a couple of times. The other one was when uh, Ezra Miller showed up on the, the CW's Crisis. Yeah. That was like, what? <laughs> and the best story, Mark Guggenheim was on this podcast and he said that not only did they have that, there were paparazzi in the Vancouver airport wow. and didn't, and they didn't report it. They didn't, oh, they didn't catch it. That's amazing. In it this day amazing. and age, it is so hard to spoil anything. Oh yeah, I know. And honestly, somehow I got to, uh, to the, the Spider-Man movie with, with my kids and didn't, and, and I'd heard Al Alfred Molina was in it, but I had no idea. That, oh, you didn't know uh, that Toby Toby McGuire and and uh, Andrew Garfield. And I'm going to tell you when that scene happened, my son and I stood up, <laughs> screamed, and high fived. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "What? What? Because what a joy to be surprised in this day and age! What a what a and and I am hopeful." Uh, that some members of the audience will be surprised at things that happen in Crisis Part Two and Crisis Part Three. Well, I, I'll I'll say this as a fan first and a podcaster second. Um, the teaser for Part Two, just the idea that Terry McGinnis exists, and it's you know just just the idea that he looks like the Terry McGinnis that we all remember. Just the idea that that exists um opens up a can of worms that literally i'll be the first in line for this like the, the this well, thing well is, thank you i'm gushing over this thing and i'm, and I'm gonna be life. 50 in two months i'm hoping mostly uh mostly the whole movie is worms it is it is a can of worms that is being opened up and hopefully you will enjoy the worms uh so it but that's a, the even even um terry is a little bit like wally west oh did i freeze again nope okay uh in that it's it's so great and you're like oh we could have done a whole movie like this we yeah. could have done a whole movie with just the bat family in crisis we really it could have been a great series and that's what so that's why i can't read uh twitter x anymore because people <laughs> suggest that <laughs> and i was like no one was offering that no one said here's a series no, uh, the best example of Twitter just being absolute nonsense, besides all the political garbage, is when uh, Kevin Smith did Masters of the Universe, and in episode one, spoilers, uh, they kill He-Man. Right. People thought they had just, you know, they 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 killed Jesus. Like that's that's what they thought. They they, they were like, well, it's so how dare you? How dare you do that? Well, I'm sure when you talk to Mike. 
the 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 idea of 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 the world really thinking Superman was dead during. Oh the, yeah, yeah, we talked about it. Was that. just like you know we've done this before. <laughs> this is called a gimmick. Have you never read a comic book? That's right. And Mike, uh, for the audience, Mike uh, Carlin is coming back. What we did was we divided it in two. We did uh, his first appearance was only about his comics run. And like 75 percent of it is about the death of Superman. Whereas then we're going to talk about his 10 years in animation and all of those movies that he worked on. Um, well, you can do, a, you can do a whole Marvel cut with Mike, too. Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's a great talker. So you're, you'll have a great show. Yeah, no, I'll it, watch it. I mean, I'll well, now that he's not. Now that he's he's not at Warner Brothers, he can come on podcasts. It's great. That's right. That's right. It's, it's been the one benefit from all from all the the the, the Michigash that's uh, that that's gone on. Um, part two and part three. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you to spoil them, obviously. Well, that's but, just, I'm so spoiler averse because of that exact thing that we we're just talking about. It's like yeah. the surprise. No, 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 I get it. So I, much. I, I totally it's, get it. it. It's so that that. It, as much as we think we want to know, as soon as as soon as you know the thing, then all the energy of it is spent. It is like Spock says in a mock time: it is better to want something that you don't have than than to have it. It's not logical, but it's often true. Well, I know what I wanted to ask you, and you, you you just referenced it. Do you think that Max should market? The Tuckerverse and the Tomorrowverse as universes. Oh, that's interesting. I know so little about marketing. Um, I uh, had a market that, podcast. That, I, I think it, it would not be a bad idea to uh, on the menu have the the those just have a cluster of the movies yeah, and have them I in think, some kind of an order. Yeah, and have them in order and have have the. Um, it's sort of when you when you look up a book series and want to make sure you're reading them in order. Uh, I think that wouldn't be a bad idea at all to, to do that. I think, I think that would be a good idea. I don't know if it would market it or, or it's really just a way of uh, cataloging it in a way, but in terms of marketing, I certainly wouldn't mind them releasing all of the Tomorrowverse movies as a, uh, as a set. As you a know? collective. Well, I, I, I could be, the reason I asked that is because, my original idea that I was about to ask you that I cut my own self and I go off on my own tangents in my head is <laughs> do you think fans have had enough time with these characters because of the epicness of all three of these crisis movies that do you feel like do you feel comfortable that the fan base whoever whatever character or whatever universe you're a fan of that you've had enough time to connect to these characters to then apply that to this massive battle um you know i think when we uh we knew it was going to be 10 and and that we had seven to play with before getting in and then also some shorts the 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 house of mystery shorts also are part of the okay. tomorrow universe that uh that we had enough time to establish those characters um in terms of i might have said you didn't have enough time to love them but i think amazingly uh stana and jensen eccles and uh and darren chris and all of those actors and and meg donnelly oh my gosh the, the oh, she's you, so you, good 
that that you see these movies and you really only need 90 minutes to feel like oh i i know who this is i like who this is i want to see a lot more so that when uh so it, it should be it should have some emotional resonance when you get to this movie and i think it does i hope it does time will tell I, I I hope so. I, I I think that that's that that's definitely something. Um, with that, as we talk about these part one, the first question has to be: You wrote parts two and three, right? I did. I did. So, I was. So that's uh... two more appearances. I, I'm just <laughs> letting you know that. <laughs> oh, good. I'm happy to come. I uh, okay, yes, good. I wrote I wrote them all in, in in our guest room here at the house during the pandemic, and it was a really strange experience. I'm very I'm a very outgoing and social person, and to be locked into a house alone with uh with hundreds of DC characters and no one else but my family was very was a strange experience for me. I, I tried to get back to the office as soon as possible, and for the longest time they opened it and it was just uh Jeff Wamister and I in um in in the entire floor of the pinnacle building like like uh uh like Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson in uh in The Shining I mean we were overlook hotel I at more actually I was more like the kid on the big wheel I, but um but yes it was very strange have you seen it on a big screen I've seen one and two on a big screen. That's awesome. Uh, and I hope to see part three shortly. And it makes a, I love it on the big screen. Honestly. Does it make a, in, with in, that many characters, I would think it makes a difference. Well, in, in, a, in my dreams, in the old days, we used to put them, we used to do a fathom event and we would, we would, uh, we'd show a couple movies on the big screen and, and, to see it like that is so exciting and to see it with other people. I miss, uh, it was so sad to miss Comic-Con during uh, the pandemic because you got, it was a chance to see your stuff on screen and sometimes see 2000 people, you know, laughing or gasping or booing. Heck, I'll take a boo. I don't care. I just like want to feel like there's someone out there seeing what we've done. I know it makes me remember like how lucky Marvel was that Avengers Endgame came out before COVID. Yeah. It 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 really felt like something. Because if you think about it, you know, that that second Spider-Man movie came out after uh, after that but before COVID and then everything changed. Yeah. And everything oh. changed because Black Widow got released on an app. Yeah. It, it just changed yeah. everything and it, it it hasn't been the same and I just saw this, I saw this film and I had to watch it on TV. I couldn't watch it on a computer screen. I couldn't watch it on my phone. I, had I hope you have a big TV. This. Yeah, no, no, but I had to see it on a, on a real screen. I, I, there's some things you can't watch on these little devices. I'm, de- I'm dealing with that with uh, Rebel Moon right now. I'm trying to watch I'm... Rebel Moon and I can't do anything because you're in- transfixed on the screen. Well, I think if, uh, yeah, watch, uh, seeing this on your Apple Watch is not going to be very satisfying. <laughs> uh Jim, uh with these these three movies, this is not the end of your Warner Brothers run. You still have more things on the pipeline, but just a few. It's but... uh it's the my my contract ended with uh um there there are a couple more projects after this and uh and then there's been sort of a sea change over there. So I'm uh uh it, it 
I have to say during free agency. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm excited about what's coming next, and I and honestly, um, what a wonderful time to be able to have finished a ten movie run that tells a story with a beginning, middle, and end, awesome. and uh, especially at a time when when movies were getting, you know, the thrown in a trash can. It was such a it was scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. scary to see the 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 Scoob sequel disappear and that to weird, that's yeah. two years of somebody's life, not somebody's life, people I know and a lot of them. Uh, so it, it was Bat, a little uh, scary. Batgirl, the, uh, the, the, the Wiley yeah. coyote movie. I, I mean, there's oh, yeah, it, right. It goes on and on and on. And it, it, so, it's, it's wild. so the fact that, I mean, and having only released the first one, who knows what happens in the next year, but uh, I'm hopeful that, that all of these will come out and then you'll be able to see all of them. Uh, but then, then I, I'm not sure what's next, and I'm uh, hope maybe one of your uh, your listeners will have uh, something great for me. Well, all I know is uh, your body of work is iconic. I mean, you've done some of the best animated things that I've ever seen, and all I can say is whatever the next project is, just make sure you come back again and again and again and again because we love having you on. Well, Seth, that is very kind of you, and I, I certainly will, and. Uh, uh, it's honestly, I feel I've been so blessed and I've enjoyed, I, I've had such a, I've worked with just some wonderful people and some real unusual characters and it's been such an amazing run. And, and, and it sounds like I'm about to fade out like I'm at the end of crisis, <laughs> but I hope to, I hope to go on. <laughs> Tim, thanks so much for doing this. No, no, thank you. I, I look forward to next time. That's Jim Krieg. Thanks so much for listening. Go check out Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1, available on digital, Blu-ray, 4K, the whole thing. And Jim will be back to discuss Parts 2 and 3 later this year. Thanks for listening. <laughs>